across the blue line, leaves it, Kale McCarr, winds, fires, SCORE! It's too good to be true, but believe it! Oh, hail, Kale! Now Rubido, top of the near circle, pass far side, wide open net, what a save made by Philip Grubauer, just outstanding stuff, I am Groove. And oh. Sidorov smash! <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah. What a bone-crushing hit by Nikita Zadorov. And Howard Luck has no idea what day it is, what time zone he's in, and he is slowly making his way towards the bench. Hello and welcome into Avalanche Talk, the Mile High Sports Avalanche podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed that new intro we put together for you. It's kind of a sign of things to come. You know, uh, we took a while to get our next podcast out there. You know, I guess a little programming note. We've been waiting for Ryan's answer. Ryan Bolding is officially out for the season. Not that he didn't want a podcast, but he's also had a hard time watching the games, of course, with the whole... Dish Network and for sure. de- every Comcast and all that debacle. So moving forward, we're just going to keep pumping these out. I mean, the show must go on, Arif, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it would be a, just an absolute waste to not take advantage of the season the Avalanche are having. So you know what? It better start in December than not start at all. Not to mention, you're just the guy around there. There's very few people in the entire world that are around the Avalanche as much as you. So we got to get you on the mic. We got to yeah. get you talking about what you're seeing right yeah no for sure i mean uh you know you'll you'll have your usuals out there the guys that are covering at the denver post and the athletic and stuff and thankfully i'm i've, I've been there almost all season with all these guys and attending you know 80 to 90 percent of everything so there's a lot to be said about this team and what's going on in the locker room and i'm just excited for us to get back and started going again yeah well let's start off with talking a little bit about today's practice i mean i did see from a lot of the reports out there it just looked like the guys were having fun today right yeah, so they did a little bit of line drills in the beginning. Uh, there was not much to be said out of that just because Miko uh, took a maintenance day today. And they switched really, really quickly from that to just playing a bunch of competitions and games. They did a shootout. They sort of did this thing afterward where they slanted the net to the side and you have to score from center ice and the blue line. And then once you score, you're out. And last man standing is the biggest loser. Ian Cole, uh, <laughs> but it was it was really cool. They had a lot of fun. There was a lot of laughter on the ice, um, and I think the Avalanche just look really really good right now, and it's starting to show with the way they're practicing. With all the you know allegations towards coaches, you know obviously they're more old school type coaches and whatnot, but it's just refreshing to see just how relatable Jared Bednar is to his players. I mean, especially coming from the Patrick Waugh era, who he was coached under those crazy ninety you know, yeah. butthole coaches, you know, I think it's, it, he probably had a little bit of that in him. So to go from that to a guy like Jared Bednar, I mean, we've pumped his tires so much throughout the years, but this is just another testament to how I think that he really is the right guy for this job. Yeah. He, he earns his respect from the players and, 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 uh, he does it in such a respectful manner where you want to play for him and you want to do what he asks of you. At the same time, he's very very good with how to treat us players having having that loose that loose uh personality and that loose mentality at practice in games even the way he talks to the media and treats the media that's what i was gonna say next i mean he's he's very gentle with us and he's very good at explaining the one thing that drives me crazy is he'll get into a start answering a question and then slowly as he answers it he gets quieter and quieter and and then you yeah you can't hear him (laughs) but yeah no he he treats media very well i mean I've seen there's coaches all around the NHL, John Tortorella in Columbus, where if, if the media asks, if anyone from the media asks a question that's sort of 
kind of confusing. It's just right there and then it's, I'm, I, we're done. We're not, I'm not going to answer this. I'm going to put you on the spot. Bedner gives you that chance to sort of relieve yourself and sort of change the wording of your question <laughs> just because he's not interested in embarrassing anyone. He's not interested. And it's the same way he treats his players and his team. And that's why the locker room over the years has sort of turned into this this place within the avalanche where you're no longer going to have those uh, players in there that are calling out other players like back when Jaguar was calling out some guys for their Vegas trip or when Duchesne was here and people were not happy with him and his personality during the last couple weeks that he was around. So things have really changed for the better and it all starts with the coach and it was, you know, we saw it firsthand at practice today. Mm -hmm. The avalanche are traveling tomorrow. They got a game Wednesday, a game Thursday, and they had the day off yesterday. This was their one day to practice, and Bednar chose to reward his team and and take it light today. Yeah, I just think there's a lot of positivity in that locker room. I yeah. mean, it starts, like you said, from the top down all the way to the leadership. But moving on a little bit, we got to talk Miko Rantanen. I mean, he's, yeah. the, he's the big news of the week. He uh, came in and had a four-point night, and geez, he didn't even look like he missed a step. I mean, what do you think goes into that for him? How, how can he, because we heard Nathan McKinnon post game. He pointed out he was late to training camp. He even showed yeah. up a couple days late to the season and he looked like he was ready to go. I mean, why, what about him is so ready to go all the time, even after missing over a month of hockey? You know, I don't know what it is. He just, he makes it look so easy and We've seen it for the last three seasons. He doesn't really go into any kind of a cold streak. He's a very, very consistent player. And that's in terms of point production, in terms of what you're going to expect from him. Heck, you know, we've seen even McKinnon go through two or three or four game spells where you can tell he's a little frustrated. He's gripping the stick too tight. He's not scoring. Rantanen doesn't seem to have that. And especially this season, granted, it's a 10 game sample size. Mm -hmm. But every time he's out there, he's just playing with the same it's it's consistent he looks the same every single game he plays the same he's he gets the same opportunities the same chances he gets those those one timers on the power play on the off wing and he just he always has he has this confidence about him he's just he's having a good time he's a happy go lucky guy and i think that translates well to his game where nothing brings him down he's just out there playing hockey 100% i think it's that confidence it's that he he he's playing just loose this year it seems like i mean like you said it's only been 10 games but with McKinnon, sometimes he's gripping his stick too yep. tight. Miko just seems to be just relaxed. I mean, maybe it's because he got paid this summer, but even in that first game, I just noticed in with the goal he scored, he's just kind of skating down. He's trying to do a little whoopsie-daisy. He yep. loses the puck and just happens to be right where the rebound is, just chilling, cool and collected, Miko just being Miko. Yeah, and that's just his personality, even when the Avalanche go through losing streaks. Miko's not the one sitting on the bench, you know, breaking his stick and throwing it against the wall when he's going off the ice or whatever it may be. He never really looks frustrated. It's just the way he is, the way his personality is. Is He's just a kid playing hockey and just having a good time doing what he loves. And, you know, according to what McKinnon says, he's one of the best in the world at what he does. And McKinnon has said that many, many times. And Miko's proven it. Yeah, I mean, it's funny to hear them say that, especially coming from one of the best players yeah. in the world and Nathan McKinnon calling his teammate one of the best players in the world, but then you see the impact he has right away. Yeah. I mean, to be up 7, what was it, 7-1 halfway through the game already, you, you saw it. You saw his impact immediately, and it's amazing to see. Yeah, he literally played just over 10 minutes, 10 minutes and 43 seconds. He had a goal, three assists, and two shots, and the Avalanche had seven goals before half way through the second period like that's unbelievable yeah swagger swagger to the max and it was an easy bet too i mean you come off of dominating the blackhawks on yep. 
on the night before, and then they get the, one of their best players back in the lineup. I mean, that's an easy puck coming, line take for me. Back, yeah, coming back home to a crowd that was just excited to see Rantanen. And even when the Avalanche gave up that first goal, that's you know a little breakdown on the power play, and it was a shorthanded goal, you still didn't feel the same kind of sinking feeling that you may have felt in the past with past Avalanche teams or even earlier this season, like that game in Dallas where they gave up the first goal, and you're like, you know, we're going to give up another, and they did. Well, the good news is the injuries are starting to come back. I mean, they had a tough time when they were, were missing Miko, missing Landy. They basically played 500 hockey. Yeah. Now they're getting their big guns back. We got Landy right around the corner. Uh, a couple other guys just, just ready to go right almost there. So I guess what kind of impact do you think Landy's going to have? Obviously, he's going to be great more than just on the ice. You know, for Landy, obviously, his leadership is going to be a massive, massive upgrade in this team. Uh, you know, that's not to discount what the guys like Belmar and Kadri have done, which, you know, they've done an exceptional job coming into this team, not just on the score sheet, but in that locker room. But I think what's more important for the return of players like Landis Cog, eventually, Burakovsky and all these guys, is not necessarily putting them into these slots in the top line. It's the trickle-down effect that comes from it. It's taking out those guys from the bottom, and then suddenly guys like Donskoy, who have 10-11 goals and 11 assists on the season, are playing in a lower role against lesser competition when they've been on the top line for the last month playing against other teams' best lines and, you know, coming away with a hat trick and now a four-point night and just all these unbelievable achievements that he's been having. And it just it's going to be that trickle-down effect when you have your Burakovsky coming back. Now, you know, we know for sure Calvert's going to be back on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. That's going to be one of the trickle-downs. So I think it's, it's not necessarily the impact these players are going to have on the top units, but it's what it's going to bring to the bottom units. That's really an excellent point. I, I really wanted to point out, you know, I think Nathan McKinnon, after that Chicago win on Saturday night, he had a couple of interesting comments afterward. I wanted to read one of them to you. We started the season 7-0, but we weren't even playing our best hockey. When we're healthy, we're a confident bunch. I mean, you love to hear that from a guy like Nathan McKinnon, especially yeah. right as the guys are coming in, starting to get healthy. I mean, he knows what this team's capable, capable of, and he sees the ceiling way higher than we've even For sure. seen it yet. Yeah, I think in uh, the past couple of years, McKinnon has been on this uh, this mission to prove everybody that he can be good. And this season, he's on a mission to prove everybody that he is good and he's going to remain good. He's not on a mission to say, we're the underdog and we're going to be better. Every single time you talk to McKinnon this year, his mindset has changed. It's, we're a damn good team and we are here to prove that we are a good team and to remain that good team rather than be that team that wants to be a surprise, that underdog. They are no longer the underdogs, and McKinnon does not like to refer to them as the underdogs anymore. He knows they can win every single night. Another thing I wanted to touch on from that night, and shout out to Terry Fry for asking such a well-phrased question to get an answer like this out of, of Nathan McKinnon, but he was essentially asked about how he's filled that leadership role with Landis Gog out, because obviously you think... Nathan McKinnon's the next guy up in terms of captaincy. And, you know, he took it well. I mean, he, he's handled himself well throughout this time. But you can tell he's not the one to be doing it. He likes Landy's leadership. He likes the way Landy comports himself in the locker room. He likes the positive ad- attitude Landy takes with his teammates. So I think what I saw from those comments is, you know, I've enjoyed being the leader and I'm having a good time doing it, but Gabe's our guy. Gabe's our, our leader. And once you yeah. get a guy like that back in the locker room, I mean, it, it does way more than what you can just see statistically or what's palpable. There's way more there to having your captain back. And that's what's going to be great about seeing Landeskog back on the ice. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I it's, it's kind of funny the way their lockers are set up 
at the Pepsi Center where you have Landeskog and McKinnon sort of cornered right beside each other. Kind of like Landeskog's always there to be buddy-buddy just to sort of check up on him, look, you know, make sure that McKinnon's doing okay. You know, for example, we saw last year when McKinnon sort of blew up and had that little fit with, mm-hmm. with Jared Bednar at the end of that Calgary game in Calgary again. Landeskog sat there by McKinnon. He let him get a couple jabs in and say a couple things, and then he put his arm over McKinnon's chest, and he said, that's it, enough's enough. Mm-hmm. And uh, McKinnon McKinnon respects Landeskog. He's earned that respect, and he is the leader, and McKinnon knows that he's not the leader. Landeskog is that leader, and he likes to have that person to rely on, and Landeskog's going to bring that back instantly if he's not already. And to kind of show him the way. you know, I think he's yeah. learned a lot, and it, honestly, McKinnon's made great strides in terms of just being who he is. I think he's way better to talk to uh, this season than he has been in past seasons. He's way more patient, I would say, with the media than he has been in past season. I think these are all traits that he's learning from from Gabe. And, yeah. you know, there's got to be other ones that we're not seeing in the locker room that just have to be helping McKinnon out. So I can't wait to see Gabe back in an absent sweater. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, speaking of Gabe, Bednar spoke about him today. And he was in a red no-contact sweater. And he participated in all the drills and all the fun and games that they had. And... It was very reminiscent of McKinnon a week ago. In fact, that's exactly what Bednar said. Is that, uh, as Yeah, Miko Rantanen a week ago in the sense where he's in a red no contact, but he's he's a full participant, and he, it's only a matter of time before he's back. Landeskog will be traveling with the team. Bednar did say that he wants him to get a practice in before he plays. So if you you know sort of read the code on that is tomorrow they travel, Wednesday there's a game. It would be hard to get him into that game. But maybe he takes the morning skate Wednesday and then can play Thursday. Or maybe he takes both morning skates, practices Friday, and then plays Saturday in Boston. So there is a couple of options out there. Uh, I know Mike Chambers at the Denver Post asked him if the back-to-back was sort of playing a factor into playing Landeskog right away or waiting, similar to Renton in a week ago in that back-to-back with Chicago. And Bednar said, yes, I would say that that's one of the factors. So all signs are pointing to, pointing towards by this time next week, Landeskog would have played a game and is preparing to play a second game next Monday or a third game next Monday at the Pepsi Center. It's just a matter of, is it Thursday in Montreal? Is it Saturday in Boston? And honestly, it wasn't as long as I expected it to be. When uh, we first found out about the injury, I mean, we still don't yeah. really fully know too much about it, but I thought this was going to be a lot more long-term. So the fact that, you know, looks like he's already ready to go, things are looking up for the Avalanche, and they weren't even looking too far down for a while. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's looking like it's just going to be about a solid month for Landeskog. He got injured late October, early November, and it's December 2nd. They're going to play on the 4th, and then the 5th, and the 7th, and he might be back in one of those games. And like you said, I thought it was going to be one of those things where trade deadline acquisition, quote, trade deadline acquisition, that's when Landeskog comes back and he acts as if a trade deadline uh, player was acquired by the Avalanche and provides that impact, but we're not even into January yet. We're about to be one-third into the season and Landeskog looks like he's going to be back already, and that's honestly, like you said, it's it's a lot quicker than even I thought. I, I mm-hmm. didn't even think Rantanen would be back this quickly. Yeah, true. True. It makes me think of all this injury talk. It's funny because I remember at the beginning of the season we were talking about how deep this defensive depth is and how the defensemen, even in the Eagles, are going to be great. Yep. And then suddenly all the forwards go down. Yes, we've seen some yeah. some injuries to the defensemen. I mean, Eric Johnson was announced today. He's going to be week to week. But we've seen way more injuries to the forward guys. It's just peculiar to me that we were excited to see what the defensive depth brings and we had to... We're forced to see what the forward depth has. Yeah, and uh, honestly, I mean, it's it's looking pretty good. The depth is 
The depth is looking stronger than before. Kamenev, granted he's playing a limited role, is proving that he could be a depth player, not a fringe NHLer, rather someone that can provide some offense when you need it and can play a very, very good responsible game. You know, this is one that all of us sort of kind of bite our bite the bullet on in terms of what we thought he was going to bring. But Valerian Nichushkin has been a pleasant surprise the past month. Maybe he started the season a little bit slow. He still has the worst luck of any player I've mm-hmm. ever seen. Even after scoring two goals, he hit the post against Chicago on Saturday on a clear open net. And, you know, he's not scoring every chance, but he's playing really hard and he's doing a good job and he's been rewarded. He's playing on the penalty kill now. He's playing in a top nine role. He's not playing on the bottom line anymore. And, um, you know, you're going to need players like that to step up. You're going to need your Logan O'Connors to jump in and play good simply because you never know who's going to go down. I mean, for example, one of the players that was announced uh, out long-term today was Colin Wilson. Bender said he was going to have surgery and he's going to be out long-term. He just said it was a lower body injury, wouldn't specify what the surgery was for. But, you know, we might not see Wilson for the rest of the season or maybe until March or April or whatever it may be. It's just he's no longer coming back anytime soon. So that's one player that we know for sure is going to need to be replaced in the lineup. But even when the top 11 are healthy, you still have a Kamenev and a Nichushkin who can play that 12th role. And you can put them into that or even O'Connor knowing that this is going to be a good player to fit in with the rest of the 11. On Nichushkin, you know, Coach Bednar never has anything bad to say uh, say about him. And, you know, those are just the type of guys that Coach Bednar loves. And you'll see succeed in a Jared Bednar system, those guys that work their tail off. Val Nichushkin, honestly, for me, reminds me of a of a Grigorenko that yeah. panned out. Yeah. You know, I think they have very similar styles. They're both bigger guys. Nichushkin's, of course, quite a bit bigger than yeah. Grigorenko, but still, Grigorenko did have some size on him. I just think Nichushkin is the Grigorenko that's, that's fitting in. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a lot to say about his work ethic. And you can truly tell, you know, not to say Grigorenko didn't because I wasn't around to see it. I only watched games on TV back then when he was around. But Nichushkin truly cares. And you can tell he wants to succeed. Even when he's not scoring, he wants to be a factor. He wants to play a role on this team one way or another. He's not looking for a top-line role. He's not looking to say, hey, I was drafted in the first round. I should be scoring. He just wants to be a part of a team. And he's finding a way to make it work. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's there's those players that face a little bit of adversity and it makes them work harder. There's players that face adversity and it kind of makes them crumble. I kind of think that, you know, Nichushkin is the, the former and Grigorenko is the latter. But, yeah. you know, I don't want to sit here rip on Grigorenko all podcast. He was a good guy, a good guy to me. Yeah. Um, but that being said, you know, on the topic of these fill-in guys, the guys coming up from the Eagles, who has been your favorite? Who do you think's made the biggest impact in... Who do you think has the brightest future with the Avalanche from the guys that we've seen fill in these injured roles? Who's made the biggest impact? I'd say that would be Logan O'Connor. Who has the brightest future? I would say Callie Rosen. Logan O'Connor, to me, is proving that he is going to be one of those players that's going to be a hardworking depth role guy. You know, those Blake Comos, those Matt Nietos, those Matt Calverts. He's proving to me that he could be one of those guys. In fact, Matt Nietos is a free agent this summer. If O'Connor continues to grow and continues to become better and the Avalanche have to throw a bunch of money at Burakovsky and then eventually at McCarr and Landeskog and Grubauer, you know, a guy like Nieto might not be able to get re-signed at 2 to $3 million. You might be able to say, hey, we trust Logan O'Connor and we can fit him into that role. Now, why I think that Kelly Rosen is the one that's going to have the brighter future is because his opportunity just began. So I don't want to say that he necessarily is the biggest surprise from the Eagles call-ups, 
but he's got the best chance of being similar to Ryan Graves, that guy that doesn't make a lot of money but can fill in a top six role, even a top four role, and do a damn good job at it. Um, the Avalanche aren't going to be able to pay all their defensemen a lot of money every single year, whether that means somehow, you know, letting Zadorov go out the door, somehow finding a way to let Eric Johnson go out the door. Someone's eventually going to have to go that's making money because we know it won't be Gerard. We know it's not going to be Makar making seven digits because he's going to reach over nine million. So a player like Callie Rosen is a very, very valuable piece to have. And, you know, that's why I don't think he was a throw in in that trade. He was someone the Avalanche targeted and he was a very smart pickup. And I think he's going to have the brightest future from these Eagles call ups. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. It's unfortunate right now to see that Martin Kautz injured right now because what an opportunity he's missing to really make yeah. himself seen and make himself, you know, a part of the, the NHL squad. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he would have gotten his chance. Uh, you know, it's it's hard to say what he would have done with it just because we've never seen him play at this level. But it would have been nice to have him at least, you know, get an opportunity to play a game or two. He was a first-round draft pick, and, you know, at this point, people might start to question if he should have been drafted that high. And this opportunity may have helped calm those, uh, criticisms, those critics down, but we don't know because he never got the chance. Yep, yep. Um, moving on down the docket, uh, there were a couple awards handed out this morning. Yeah. Uh, I guess we'll start with Nathan McKinnon, both three stars of the week and th th three star of the month. I mean, those are okay deals, not as big of a deal as the Mile High Sports three star of the yeah. week, which we do every episode for and we'll sure. be doing here. But those are pretty good awards. Uh, I'm, a prou I'm proud of Nathan McKinnon for uh, achieving this accomplishment, which he's done actually every November for the past handful of years. Yeah, 10 goals, 15 assists, 25 points. That's his most successful November, and that's, you know, his third straight November of posting over 20 points. His 25 points was one less than Connor McDavid, second most in the NHL in that span, and he did it in 14 games, and most importantly, he did it in 14 games without Landis Gog or Rantanen for any of the games except for the game on Saturday. Obviously, Nathan McKinnon's a, a beast of a goal scorer, one of the best in the NHL, but... What I think he doesn't get enough credit for are his assists. He's got a ton of them this year, yeah. and you always just see him kind of squeak into those. You, you know, you don't remember him being part of the play, and then suddenly the score sheet reads assist from someone and Nathan McKinnon. You know, yeah. so he's setting it up. He's he's such a dangerous player. Obviously, he's t absorbing some defense and leaving some guys open, but he's finding those guys, and that's that's a huge, I guess, asset in a guy who likes to shoot is a guy who also can help find people who are open. Two seasons ago when McKinnon had his uh, his first big year, that 97-point year in 2017-18, I remember writing an article about his primary point production and how it was one of the, I believe it was, I can't remember now, top three or four in the NHL since that 05-06 lockout. His primary points obviously being goals plus the first assist because he was always involved in every single play right there to the very end. This year, he sort of found a way to conserve his energy. He sort of gives the puck to somebody and lets them create the play. But when you look back at the replay, you see that what McKinnon did sort of played a factor and he's earning his secondary assist without having to be in every single play and exhausting himself every shift. Mm -hmm. And he's still being productive. And that's probably the most impressive thing about his season this year is, you know, he's already up to more than 40 points. We're not even a third of the way through the season and uh, he's doing it at such an efficient pace and he's not playing those big minutes and, and and, uh, and and exhausting himself the way he has in years past. He played 12 minutes on or 10 minutes on Saturday or whatever it was, and uh, he still came away with three points. That's a good point with that energy saving. You know, we've seen over the last couple of years, 
ever since Co- Coach Bednar came, how they love to keep that F3 extra high. And a lot yeah. of times that's Nathan McKinnon. He's almost up by the blue line a lot of times snapping those wristers. So the the fact that they keep him so high, I'm sure, helps him conserve his energy. He's not digging in the corners. He can kind of stay up top, find some quiet areas, and, and kind of coast around, sprint when he has to sprint. He's the fastest, if not the second fastest in the world. But, you know, I think they're being smart about his, his usage, especially when he's playing, what, 21 minutes a night. Yeah, for sure. I mean, in 21 minutes a night, surprise, surprise, that's still less than he has in years past, and that speaks, you know, that speaks to the depth the Avalanche have now. But you just don't feel like McKinnon is really exhausting himself the way he has in years past. Even even at practice, he's practicing every day. He's not really taking those maintenance days as much as he used to. You can tell they're finding a way to sort of not overly use him and not exhaust him before the playoffs. And I think that's that's very, very crucial for this team because we've seen what he did in the playoffs last year. And we know that McKinnon is someone that you want to be operating at full force, not just in October, November, December, but in April, May, possibly even June. And the Avalanche are doing a great job. Again, it is Jared Bender and his coaching. They're finding a they're finding a great way to utilize him where he's still being productive. He's still putting up his points, but he's doing it in a far more efficient manner, which is leading to more secondary assists and letting his teammates and his line mates go out there and do the scoring. And then the other award we got to touch on is K.O. McCarr getting Rookie of the Month. Now, that's not a surprise to anybody, especially if you've been watching the Avalanche. He's just been... Taking grown men and turning them into you know people who look like they're they're novice hockey players. So obviously what he's doing is great. Nothing groundbreaking that coming from me out of uh, about Kale McCarr, but you love to see the recognition happen league wide. Yeah. So let me uh, tell you about one of the other players that earned votes was Vancouver's defenseman Quinn Hughes, who I watched a lot of last year at Michigan. I watched many of his home games. Quinn Hughes put up twelve points in fourteen games, which is excellent but he had one goal and 11 assists. Last year, Ottawa's Thomas Shabbat put up 55 points. 14 of them were goals. Kale McCarr is not just putting up points. He's not just playing a great defensive game. He is scoring goals. The Avalanche played 14 games in November. They, I believe they went 8-6 and six in those 14 games. Kale McCarr had 7 goals, 9 assists, 16 points, and 3 game-winning goals. He's scoring at a 41 goal pace. He scored at a 41 goal pace in November. He operated at more than an 82 point pace and he scored three game winning goals in one month. And these are just numbers that you don't see from defensemen, let alone 21 year old rookie defensemen. And that's just the most exciting part about his game is the guy can score 30 goals and 80 points every season and still be your Duncan Keats, still be your guy that's just a great defensive stalwart at the same time. Yeah, not to mention the the progress that we're seeing right in front of our eyes. I mean, the first handful of games, he was very assist-heavy. Yeah. I think he had one goal for quite a, quite a long stretch there. Now he's f- figuring out how to find the back of the net. I mean, I pointed out on Twitter recently just the, the play they're running on the power play. Once they get him the puck up top, Donskoy cuts across in front of the goaltender, takes away his eyes. At the exact second, Makar roofs it up top, and he beat a couple goalies like that recently. He's He's learning how to whip that puck through. I mean, he's, it's not like Tyson Berry where he found more shin guards than not. Yeah. He's, he's getting it through, and that's something that we didn't see from him at the beginning. So the fact that he's making these strides so quickly and such great strides they are, it's just you can't help but just be in awe of this kid. Yeah. I mean, I, even, even when we're watching games and we're tweeting, I don't have much to say about Makar because I just don't know what else can be said about him. He's just he's doing some he's, – he's, 
he's changing the way a rookie defenseman uh, is viewed in the sense where the guy's going to earn votes for the Norris Trophy if this continues. It might be hard for him to win it, but to have a rookie defenseman even get votes toward that trophy, which is a very... It's, it's a very old boys club, that trophy, in the terms where you need to do your time and, you know, just to even be considered for it. Somebody like a Mark Giordano, who in the years past has had the opportunity to win it, but the voters always went back to the Carlsons, the Dowdies, even the Lidstroms back in the day. McCarr might jump right into that conversation. And 12 months ago, he was playing college. Hell, six months ago, he was playing college. And it's just, it's unbelievable to see how quick he's sort of earned the respect of the entire league. And it's obviously because of the way he plays on the ice. You know, we talked about the impact that Miko was able to make right out of the gate. Makes me think back at that Calgary series last year. You know, it was 1-1 leaving Calgary. I think the Avalanche stole game two in an overtime, Nathan McKinnon goal. Then Kale McCarr jumped in, and the Avs took off from there. I mean, is he that impactful of a player already that he alone is the key difference maker to turning this team from just a good playoff team to that elite now Stanley Cup contender? Was he the guy by himself? Because it almost seems like he's having that big of an impact that he alone is making this team rise to the top. The best defensemen in this league play at a young age, and Makar is 21 years old, which for a defenseman is young. In reality, is young. But when you look back and you think that Drew Doughty was 19 years old when he won a gold medal with Canada in the Olympics... By the time Drew Doughty was 21 years old, he was one of the NHL's best. It took longer for McCarr to get here because of the route he took going college and playing in the AJHL before that in Alberta. But at 21 years old, you expect this kind of game out of the players that are expected to be your elite defenseman. And that's what McCarr is. When Carlson was 21, it wasn't his first season in the NHL, but he was an elite defenseman at 21. Mm -hmm. So for McCarr, he's jumping in as a 21-year-old rookie you don't expect him to be elite, but he's doing exactly that. Yeah, you got to wonder how long that speed of his is going gonna, is gonna to keep up. Of course, by the time it fades from him, he probably will have adapted and be a much stronger mental player, but yeah. that's just such a weapon for him. I, you got to wonder how long does he have to be that fast because that's really fast. Yeah, he's he's a fast player, and he's not he's not small by any means. We've seen him. I mean, he's got a little bit of size on him, and we've seen the way he plays. We've seen him throw some big hits this year, and he's just done an exceptional job playing a physical brand of hockey while also providing that speed and that offensive spark. And, I mean, you already spoke about his shot, and it's just an unbelievable release that he... The goalies don't even move when he shoots the puck. It's just... He's 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 really... He's really changing the way that rookie defensemen are viewed, and he's, he's the new-aged NHL defenseman. And, you know, we didn't even mention the biggest part about his rookie season is he's doing all this. He hasn't taken a single penalty yet. Not now, not in the playoffs last year. And that's probably the most impressive part is that he uses his stick so much. He's playing against top competition so much, but he's never trailing behind the play and having to fall into a stick infraction, a hooking, a, mm-hmm. a holding, an interference, Absolutely. anything like that to make up for a mistake. He's not even had to do that playing over 21 minutes. I mean, I, I can't think right now off the top of my head of a time I've seen him in the box. I'm sure he's had some pims this year, but can't None. be too many. Zero. He's zero. He actually has Brilliant. zero penalty minutes now and in the playoffs. He does not have zero, a single penalty minute in his NHL career. That's that's fascinating. Yeah. That's discipline. That's crazy. You know, that's, that's Ryan O'Reilly stuff. Yeah. You know. Um, all right, moving on. I want to look ahead a little bit. Uh, you know, they got quite the road trip on their hands. Not exactly easy. First up is the Toronto Maple Leafs. I mean, we know how they've been buzzing since they, you know, fired Mike Babcock. Um, you know, you had the special chance to... <laughs> 
talk one-on-one with Nazem Kadri. I hope I say that. I don't say that right, do I? No, that that Kadri? is actually no. It, Kadri? it is actually Kadri. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. I say it, I say it, Kadri. I guess it's the Colorado in me. Yeah. Um. But yeah, you had the opportunity to go one-on-one. I just want to, you know, you're preparing a nice little piece that was exclusive to you. I just want to kind of give you the chance to preview it for us, get everybody excited for what to expect from that one-on-one. Yeah. So uh, Nazem Kadri is a uh, first generation born in uh, Canada. His parents are from Lebanon. His dad and his grandparents immigrated from Lebanon, and he met his mom here, well, in Canada, in North America. He's a proud Lebanese practicing Muslim in the NHL. And uh, my background, obviously, being a proud Iraqi practicing Muslim in the NHL media, it just felt like a great opportunity for me to be able to speak to him and write this article and write this feature about his background and where he came from and his upbringing. It has been done before. Toronto media has done an exceptional job doing it. We've even had Mike Chambers at the Denver Post has, has written an article about him. But I feel like I don't want to say it gives me an upper hand, but at the same time, it gives me an opportunity to sort of relate to him and to sort of dive deeper into his culture and into his background because it's exactly the same lifestyle that I live and it's the same it's the same life that I grew up, the same kind of family, the same kind of culture and all these things. And, you know, I spoke to him about these things and we talked about his uh, his road to the NHL and how challenging it could have been for somebody who's a practicing Muslim. We also talked about leaving home and not having your mom's home cooked food and that's something that I'm experiencing right now and it's it's uh it's it's a lot different than your average NHL player and having to see his route to the NHL it's just so unique to him because he's the only one in the NHL from this background right now that you know I'm just really excited to share it with the NHL world and I'm, I'm hoping to get this out by Wednesday when the Avalanche are in Toronto and he's making that comeback to that city that he played for in t- for 10 years um so just keep an eye out for it. It's it's uh you know it's it's something that I hold really really dear to my heart, and it's probably the highlight of my young journalism career is writing this piece on Kadri. No, awesome. I look forward to that. I hope all of our listeners do too. And I I completely understand. I mean, my family's from Spain. Of course, there's no Spanish NHLers, yeah. but if there were, I'd be all over that, and yeah. even more so if you joined the Colorado Avalanche. So you know, I understand where you're coming from, and I I can't wait to read that piece. Um, that being said, he's going back to Toronto for the first time. Yep. Um, obviously, it's going to be emotional for him. He loved sure. it there. He didn't want to leave. We know that. That's been well documented. What do you think it's going to be like for him returning? I mean, obviously, they're going to give him a standing ovation. They're going to give him a video. Do you think he's going to be able to keep his wits about him and still play a good game? I think so. It's going to be a very emotional game. But, you know, we know we know the type of player Nazem Kadri is. Uh, we've seen the way he's played in the past. The guy wears his heart on his sleeve with everything he does. And, uh, you know, maybe he'll take a penalty or two. Maybe his emotions will get the best of him. But I think he will uh, be able to play his game. He will be able to sort of put that all aside when the puck is in play. But when the puck is not in play, you're going to see him on the bench. You're going to see him sort of wearing that emotion and being very public about it. You're going to see him sort of waving back to the crowd. Just think back to P.K. Subban's return to Montreal. It's going to be very similar to that in the sense where he was just very loved in that city and not only was he loved in a city that had a heavy media and 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 fan base it's he loved the attention Mm -hmm. he loves that stuff he loves being that person that can walk in the street and everybody knows who he is and he just loves to be around a city like toronto and 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 the heavy presence they have in terms of media and the fan base and hockey in general and it's going to be a very very unique emotional night and it's going to be similar to what we saw here with barry but you know 
take that and amplified put it, uh, Toronto 100%. style exactly. Put, yeah, put it in Toronto, and you know the Avalanche are going to be pissed off. I mean, you know that one stung to have yeah. Tyson Berry come here, especially the Avs had the lead for a second. Then Tyson Berry came in here, he scored, he got some assists, and then walked away with the W. You know that made Nathan McKinnon mad. You know that made some other guys in that locker room mad. So um, I expect. Uh, a fiery game from Colorado and, and hopefully 100%. get that W. Yeah, for sure. I think it's uh, it's also uh, worth noting that Toronto will be on the second of a back-to-back that night, and we've seen how they've dealt with that all season. They've not yet won a second of a back-to-back. Well, actually, they just beat Buffalo the other day because they used Freddie Anderson uh, in the second game of the back-to-back. Mm. Rather than using Hutchinson or whoever, you know, they're yeah, they haven't had a backup to rely on, but so it will be definitely interesting to keep an eye on that. Toronto sort of had this thing with back to backs where they do not have a good record on the second uh, game of that, and um, you know, bringing Kadri into town, the Avalanche might just start really, really strong, and you know, we'll see where it goes. But I think it's going to be a great game because these are two of the hottest teams in the NHL right now. After that, real quick, they head to Montreal to face the Canadians and then to Boston to face the Bruins. What do you expect out of those two games? Montreal is uh, currently on an eight-game losing streak. They're 0-5-3. It's the first time since the 40s that that team has not won eight games in a row. So that's going to be a little interesting to see. Is that going to be the game where it knocks them off their schneid? Are the Avalanche going to have such a fiery and heated emotional game Wednesday that they might sort of mail it in Thursday. They always blow it in Montreal, too. Yeah, They always so blow it in Montreal. There's a lot of things that are pointing to the Avalanche needing to sort of just keep an eye on that game and not expect it to be an automatic win. That might be the game that Francis plays, assuming Grubauer plays Wednesday. So you'll hope for a big night from him. And then Boston has four regulation losses this season, I believe. And one of them are to the Avalanche at the Pepsi Center. And the Avalanche play really, really well in Boston. They just seem to always have their number yeah. out there. Mm-hmm. So having that practice Friday and then playing in Boston Saturday, especially if Landis Cox's coming back, as funny as it may sound to say this because of where Montreal is right now and where Boston is, but I think Boston's the one that they're going to win. Montreal, still up in the air. Just depends on what happens Wednesday and how they how they respond. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see that play out exactly how you said. Last thing before we get out of here... Um, elsewhere around the NHL, and I think this is the biggest talk topic right now surrounding the Avalanche, is the Taylor Hall. Yeah. Uh, Where is he going to end up? Is he going to be in the Avalanche? If he did, what kind of impact would he have on this team, and would he fit in? He would fit in, absolutely, because he he's, he's it's a seamless transition for a player like that to join an offensive team and to be able to just start you know scoring with that team. We saw it with Duchesne last year in Columbus. While it took him a little bit of time, he was still able to provide a spark for them, and that same spark is the spark that caused him to eliminate Tampa Bay in four games. I think Taylor Hall is, if if comes if push comes to shove and the Avalanche do decide to pursue him and acquire him at the deadline, could be a massive addition to the team. He's a very, very big puck possession play driver, even though he's a winger and not a center. So you can stick him on the line with Kadri and, let's say, Burakovsky and watch him sort of bring that line and elevate it to a top line. Or you can split it up and bring Landeskog down and play Landeskog with Kadri, these two hardworking, tougher players, and then throw Hall with Rantanen and Magic and just watch this magic appear. Or uh, with, with Rantanen and McKinnon, watch <laughs> this magic appear. Uh, you get what I'm saying. You know, Anywhere you put Hall into this lineup is just going to be very magical for the Avalanche. And then if you do bring somebody like that, suddenly your third line has a... JT Comfort and a Giannis Donskoy on it, it's looking pretty tempting for the Avalanche to try to bring somebody in like that, assuming the cost isn't too heavy. It's not a Bowen Byram, for example. Mm-hmm. But McKinnon and Magic are synonymous, but uh, yeah, before 100%. you get there, what would you give up 
for a guy like Taylor Hall? And what do you put the percentages at? What are the odds do you think that it happens? The odds that I think that it happens are, honestly, I think pretty high. I, I definitely think Joe has the berries to, to, to try to pull off something like that. I think so, too. The Avalanche went after Panarin, and it was public knowledge that they offered him a four-year deal at mm-hmm. over $11 million a year. Now, Taylor Hall, there's two ways to look at it. Trade deadline acquisition, I think the odds are close to 90%, to be honest with you, in my opinion. Because what are you going to give up for somebody like a Taylor Hall? You're going to give up a first-round draft pick in 2020, which, hey, the Avalanche don't need it. They just drafted Bowen Byram and Alex Newhook a year ago, thanks to Ottawa. They're going to give up that first-round draft pick. They're going to give up a young roster player. Think of Tyson Jost. You know, if push comes to shove, maybe a different player at JT Comfer, but I don't see the Avalanche wanting to part with somebody like that. And then you throw in a prospect or two as long as it's not your Bowen Byram. Alex Newhook might be an option. But again, when it comes to a trade deadline acquisition, I think the odds are up there. When it comes to him being acquired and re-signing in Colorado, the odds sort of, they sort of simmer to a little bit lower. But at the same time, the Avalanche would have to offer a lot more and then do some shuffling. You know, maybe see a Zadorov is let out the door. Maybe see a find a way to have an Eric Johnson let out the door. Just find a way to mitigate the money that it's going to cost to pay Taylor Hall, which might come in at 10 or $11 million in the summer. But if you're just looking at a trade deadline acquisition, I'd, I'd put it up there at 90%. Trade a, trade a Tyson Jost, trade a prospect, trade a first-round draft pick. That seems to be the going great for these players now. Well, I think we all hope you're right. We'd love to see Taylor Hall. Sure. It'd be tough to see Tyson Jost go, but I don't think they're in love with what he's brought. We kind of see his ceiling, and uh, we kind of know where his path is going. Um, if it has to be a guy like that, I don't think it's it's too much of a sacrifice to make for a guy like Hall. And then we're back to having just a star-studded team, back to the 0-1 era. Yeah. It's, it's going to be great, so fingers crossed you're right. Wrapping it up here, Mile High Sports, three stars of the week brought to you by me. Third star of the week, I'm going to give it to Val Nachuskin. Just because yeah. it's great to see him get that monkey off his back. I mean, just the the pressure you got to feel as an NHL player after not scoring for that long, just to see him do it and then get another one. It seems like he's taking that deep breath. He's allowed to exhale, and maybe we'll start seeing him, you know, open the floodgates a little more and start pumping in more goals. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. That goal he scored in Chicago on Friday was very Evgeny Malkin-like. It was just very... Uh, I, who's, who's the announcer for Pittsburgh, the radio guy, Paul Stegerwald. He always, every time Malkin gets the puck at the center at center ice or in his defensive zone and starts to go up the ice the way Nachushkin did, he says Malkin is galloping up the ice. And Nachushkin literally galloped up the ice, beat uh, Duncan Keith, and beat the goaltender. And it was just an unbelievable play. I love that. I love that little tidbit. I didn't know who that guy was, <laughs> the radio voice of the Pittsburgh Penguins. How do you know that? Why do you know that? Uh, I wish I knew why I knew that. <laughs> Star number two, I'm going, it's got to go Nathan McKinnon. I mean, just like we've said, he's been the great, he's been one of the NHL's best stars of the month. I mean, he's he's figured out how to lead this team, even with a lot of his teammates falling like flies. So what he's done the last month or two, I think it is nothing short of amazing. But of course, we're used to seeing this from Nathan McKinnon. I'm pretty sure he's gotten the most three stars of the week from, my, from Mile High Sports than anybody in the world. So... No surprises there. No, not at all. I mean, it's Nathan McKinnon. There's not much else we can say about him that we haven't said in the past. Uh, he's proven it up and down the ice. Uh, regular season playoffs, no matter what it is, with his teammates, with his regular line mates, without them. He's Nathan McKinnon, man. You know he's going to perform. And I want to reiterate just how big of a leap I think he's taken in his maturity. I don't think it was terrible before. 
Um, obviously, there were small issues like the one you mentioned on the Calgary bench, but I still think w- this off season was was big for him to kind of, I guess, grasp the role of of a hockey player psychologically, and I think he's finally overcome just the battles that he had with that before. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he doesn't seem to get as frustrated as easily anymore. Mm-hmm. He just, I think, he's learned that the best way for him to to succeed is to just put his head down and work. He doesn't necessarily want to be the voice. He doesn't want to be the one to always talk to media. He doesn't want to be the one to always talk to other players. But he's going to put his head down, and he's going to work, win or lose, happy or sad. He's going to act the same way, and I think that's something that he's evolved into this year. He's got to get a new celly, too. Every goal, he just turns around and says, let's go. He needs yeah. He needs to get a new phrase. Star number one for Mile High Sports has to go to Miko Rantanan. Miko Rantanan. I mean, what he's done he in that one game, it was so good to have him back. I mean, and he just provides this presence to the locker room, just laid back. Everybody happy, loves having him around. Such a happy, fun guy. I remember when he came in for train after uh, missing training camp, he was just all smiles and Landis Gog did that whole thing where he held up a poster for him and they just were having a great time and he's just his his personality and his demeanor is contagious mm-hmm. he's very he's 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 very opposite of what we were just talking about with Nathan McKinnon it, it provides so much in the locker room and this is not even to mention what he brings on the ice and what he brings on the ice is a player that if he plays the rest of the season is 66 games he's on pace for 105 points in 66 games Absolutely, hundred percent. Excited to see what this team has has, you know, in the near future. Because I think you know they're going to take some big strides here, just with all these injuries coming back and, and everybody performing the way they have been. I'm I'm really excited to see. That's why we had to bring this podcast back. Yeah. We had to, you know, we're going to get back at it. We promise you, this is going to be more of a regular basis thing. If it's me and Arif, uh, me and whoever. Arif and whoever, you know, we're going to keep pumping this podcast out because you know we're in a position that people would give up a lot to be in we need to you know share what we see share our um, observations our opinions it's their right we're we're the median between the players and the fans we got to do more to bring to the bring more to the fans for sure and like i said earlier for the first time in 10 12 13 15 years whatever it may be the avalanche are a really 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 good hockey team and it's just it would be such a missed opportunity for us not to be able to share these stories and see what's happening in the locker room with this team that's just has become a perennial contender suddenly overnight absolutely and plus i think you and i have just a little bit different of a of an opinion and a different perspective than a lot of the other guys in that press box which you know i think everybody has something to add and so i if you just Add a little bit of these guys, a little bit of these guys, a little bit of us. You're really going to be a knowledgeable hockey fan, and you're going to get a wide diversity of opinions. So, you know, thanks for listening to us. Um, follow me on, on Twitter at JJ of the Year. Of course, I'm JJ Jerez with me, Arif Dean. Catch him at Run Right Arif. Correct. Just how it sounds, Run yep. Right. Two things you like to do. Other than that, that's all I've got on the docket. Anything you want to say before we get out of here? Uh, no, that's basically it. Just keep an eye out for that cadre piece, and uh, we'll see how the avalanche do, and we'll touch base with you guys after this road trip. Awesome. Thanks for joining us, guys. We got you.